clothes which set off his eyes and with his whitish hair brushed over his collar, he must have made a striking figure. He walked through the square and onto a side street, down which, blinking excitedly, were the lights from the Astoria Café. That night spot was not then as famous as it later became. Trumpelmann took a table at the back. He ate a beefsteak and drank a clear liqueur. He bought four cigarettes. A thin comedian, losing his hair, told a number of jokes. About the Jew in the bathtub. About the landowner and the crow. Then a woman with black bangs and painted lips began to sing songs. She looked, with her straight bare shoulders, like a statuette, like an Egyptian. The visitor at the far table ordered a hothouse flower and, when the songs were over, sent it to the stage. The singer pinned the rose to her waist, just above the split in her tight, gleaming gown. Then she blew that patron a kiss. It was in this manner that I. C. Trumpelmann celebrated his forty-ninth birthday. The following morning the guest checked out of the Hotel Europa and took a motor-taxi to a wooden house in the Valborska quarter. To the front of this house, at Lepetsky 6, there soon was affixed a bronze-colored plaque. I. C. Trumpelmann, practicing physician. That street, as it happened, was a lucky choice. Many of the houses on it were occupied by industrious and progressive Jews, the managers of the spinning mills, the owner of a furniture factory, lens-makers and such. Poles and ethnic Volksdeutschers, the sort who read newspapers, who wore wristwatches, lived in the rest. Moreover, from morning to sundown, hundreds of men and women passed in front of Number 6 on their way to the nearby Rumkowski geyser. In fact, not a geyser, but a branch of the municipal baths. Of course, such people, so hygiene-conscious, would notice the neat new sign on the wall, the only such sign, by the way, except for old Dr. Fostuk's in the entire quarter. You will not be surprised to learn that the new doctor thrived. Trumpelmann rented three rooms in the old wooden house, one upstairs in which he lived, and two on the ground floor, a surgery and a room for waiting. This last place always contained, for adults, the latest illustrated magazines from Berlin, from Warsaw, and for children there was a round bowl with two fish. The young Volksdeutschers especially would sit with their fists on their thighs, like little men, and stare at the creatures behind the glass. Some of them would knock on the sides of the bowl or blow on the surface of the water, trying to make the minnows come from their porcelain castle. The doctor treated most of his patients with pills, either long white ones or green ones which were round. How he knew which color to give which patient was a secret. Sometimes he would insist that the very man he had previously given the green capsules should now take a white one, or vice versa. Swallow, he'd say, and you had to do it on the spot. Trumpelmann had another skill which in our town was completely unheard of. Without warning he would shoot out his left hand and take a sick man by the neck. Then with his right hand he would twist the fellow's head like the knob of a door. If the person resisted the doctor got angry. He would grasp his spectacle frames with one hand so they wouldn't fall off. With his other hand he would strike the table. "'What's the matter with you? Are you the expert? Look, I am getting upset!' These different techniques, the pills, which did make people feel better, and the neck twist, which worked wonders too, were thought to be typical of medical science in Vilna, though there was no diploma from that northern city or any other upon the wall. From the first days of his practice this physician cared for large numbers of children. There were not then in Central Europe and perhaps there are few today, specialists in juvenile diseases. Yet people brought to this stranger, a man with a foreign lisp, their little ones, even from distant parts of the city. He treats my Meilich as if he were his own, was how one woman put it. 
and all the others in the waiting-room nodded their round Polish or square Volksdeutscher or long Jewish heads. Schumpelmann never gave pills to these children or wrenched their necks. Instead, he had a box of hollow sweets which, after you sucked them for a time, suddenly flooded your mouth with a syrup that turned your tongue, your lips, even the world before your eyes, the deepest raspberry red. "'Attention!' the doctor would say to the boys, and when they stood against the wall like soldiers, he would thrust a thermometer like a baton under their arms. The girls he rode on his knee at a real jogging pace until their pinched faces grew healthy and flushed. "'Stop! Chaim!' they would call, using his middle name. In spite of his famous temper, he never struck, never screamed at these patients. Once he stepped from the surgery into the waiting room and discovered a pale, pudgy boy with his arm in the fishbowl and the two little fish alive on the floor. Oh, what big trout you have caught! Yes, my Franz, you're a brave hunter! Then Trumpelmann scooped up the minnows. As for the trembling Volksdeutscher, all the doctor did was pinch him a bit on the ear. Trumpelmann did not just treat these children, he tended their mothers as well. Best to say here that all through the twenties and thirties his name was connected to one type of scandal or another. Much of that reputation, for being a roué, a ladies' man, began at Lepetsky Six. People believed that with his blue eyes he knew how to hypnotize his female patients and make them do what he wished. It became a kind of fashion to develop a rash or a fever, and then let it be known that the doctor from Vilna was attempting to bring on a cure. Rumors began to circulate about his past. You heard that he had already had three different wives, two of whom died in childbirth and one of whom was hit by a train. Or that, as a result of some liaison, he had killed a Lithuanian officer in a duel. Such stories explained why, crushed by tragedy or a fugitive from justice, he had suddenly appeared among us. But whether they were true or not, or even whether his reputation was a deserved one, nobody could say for sure. Labe Korngold, who later grew up in our town, used to tell everyone how he once pushed open the door to Trumpelmann's office and discovered Malka Korngold, his own mother, without any clothes. She was walking up and down, he said, on the back of the physician. The odd thing was it seemed as if it were Trumpelmann who had been hypnotized. He looked with a dazed expression right through the boy. These are not pleasant stories. And there are worse things, terrible things, to come. Ladies and gentlemen, whatever you hear in the future, at least remember the true, genuine feeling of this man for all the little Laibs and Meilichs and Franzes, who were the first ones to call him Chaim. All too soon the whole town, or at least the Jews in it, tens of thousands of people, would call to him, would cry out to him by that very name. We all became his children. But first the years had to pass. In 1923 Trumpelmann bought a new suit. This was camel-colored and always had a neat white handkerchief in the breast pocket. The next year he got an overcoat to match. In 1926 the doctor hired a nurse, a Polish girl, Miss Wisotska. She had dark hair and a dimpled chin. All this meant that Trumpelman was prosperous, that he was respected. But it was only after the Walburska pogrom in the spring of 1927 that he became a really well-known figure. This disturbance differed from others in the quarter in that the hitting and beating which went on through the night reached as far as Lepetsky. The waiting room at number six became crowded with people suffering from wounds, from burns, from broken limbs. By the time dawn broke, Trumpelmann was exhausted. The walls of his office, his new armchair, his wrists and thumbs were smeared with blood. Plasters and bandages hung everywhere. A child with a crack in his head was lying on the movable table, and a middle-aged Jew, a complete stranger, was shaving in the surgical mirror. At this point the doctor happened to look out the window. 
In the first light, two Poles were walking down the middle of Lepetsky, carrying a rolled-up carpet on their shoulders. Without hesitating, Trumpelmann picked up whatever came to hand—it turned out to be his little rubber hammer—and went into the street. "'Stop!' he cried. "'What's that you have?' The first Pole halted, but the second, a stocky man, kept going so that the carpet looped in the middle. "'It's a rug,' said the lead man, with a smile. "'To walk on,' said the rear fellow, who at last stood still. "'Where did you get it? Explain yourselves!' "'It belongs to my aunt,' said the first Pole, quick-witted, "'on my mother's side.' From fatigue, not from fear, Trumpelmann swayed. The crowd had come out on the steps of Lepetsky Six. More Jews peered from the windows. The tall doctor stared down at the Poles. "'Describe the rug. Tell me what it looks like.' The second man began grinning, too. "'That's easy,' he said. "'Blue and green like when a peacock spreads its tail.' "'It's more of a yellow, a yellow-green. Not like peacocks, exactly.' This was said by the more intelligent man. "'Roll it out,' Trumpelmann demanded. With his left hand he grasped the frame of his glasses. With his right hand he waved his mallet, a foolish weapon. The Poles paused, shifting their feet. "'You see, sir, what's blue to one man is green to another.' "'At once! Unroll it!' Trumpelmann's voice, always high, nearly screeched. The two men obeyed him. A sigh, ah, came from the crowd. For the rug, a beauty from Bessarabia, was bright red except for a border of purple plums. Wordlessly, the doctor turned and strode to where two of the mayor's police were sitting on brown horses. "'Arrest them. They have stolen a valuable carpet. They have broken into a citizen's home.' The policemen looked at each other. One of their horses blew air through its nose. The sun was now high enough to give everybody a shadow. Why do you sit there? Didn't you hear?